Welcome to Hot D, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back for the Driftmark feedback episode. Aaron, I hear our feedback is bulging, absolutely bulging. It's bulging and fractious. There are the greens and blacks have taken over our feedback and they're they oh, want no. blood. It's like they two want squirrels blood. in a sack. They're they're less interested in in leal podcasters and more interested in, <laughs> in being told their pretty queens and princesses are the fairest in the realm. Hmm. And uh, boy, I don't know. Don't know if you can get that kind of. We're 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 all about keeping a leal here in this podcast. So uh, we're we're gonna roll up our sleeves and and fight about some fake politics today. Are you ready, right. Jim? Uh, I'm yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, we're gonna ease into it first. Hot D at baldmove.com, by the way, is how you uh, get a chance to be aired. How you demand trial by content uh, if I steal my friend uh, Joanna Robinson's show name. It's only fair because the ringer stole prestige. So I'm taking I'm, I'm laying claim on mm-hmm. but, but trial by content. Uh, first up, Hadi at baldmove.com. Brandon from Boston says, when watching this episode and reflecting afterwards, one quick question struck me as a potentially interesting item with the air quote death of Lanor. What does this mean for sea smoke? That's his dragon. I'm unsure with dragon lore whether they sense their writer's death or how exactly they come to be aware of it, but dragons having one writer, will he accept a new one? Does he sense that Raynor is still alive and therefore refuse a new writer? If so, I imagine this would cause quite the confusion amongst families. Uh, if this is not the case, who do you think will be his new writer? Now, of course, I have to recuse myself uh, and wrap myself in the cloak of mildly interesting. But I, um, this is something that we considered in the the bonus mm-hmm. uh, club-only section the instant talk section of of the instant take podcast so i thought it bared repeating um this is an excellent question because again in the books as far as i can tell laner's dead dead um huh interesting so uh the uh, the the question of succession of his dragon is a little bit more clean uh you know straightforward and and like i said it's it's in the book i could just read it to you out right now but i don't, I don't think many people want that um this is what I'm saying by we know what Targaryens think how 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 ancient Valerian lore will would would say that you know you've got you know uh, a dragon can be bound to one rider at a time you know it's possible a rider could have multiple dragons if their dragon dies and they take another one um but we've never ever ever seen a dragon accept multiple primary riders why the other one's still alive um it's said that there is some kind of like spiritual connection or bond there. And mm-hmm. I guess we're going to find out. We're going to fuck around and find out. Do you have any thoughts on which way you fall, King Jim Harris? Yeah, you know, like uh, when there's a corpse on the ground or something, a carcass, uh, there will be buzzards or vultures or whatever flying overhead, mm-hmm. circling around, mm-hmm. and you can always tell like, oh, something's dead over there. This is going to be the inverse, where you'll see dragon, the sea smoke just flying circles in the air, and you'll be like, what? What is Sea Smoke doing? And it'll just turn out it's right above where Lanor is sleeping or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to be like that. And then I... There's this bald black guy in Essos, and he just got this <laughs> dragon that won't fucking leave him alone. I just don't... I don't, can't understand. Can't understand. Right? He. I don't know. I saw him when he forgot to shave one day, and that hair was looking... <laughs> Weird, man. Yeah, he looks old for his age. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Shock white, that hair. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting about this is if that doesn't happen, right? If, if there isn't some kind of bond, his dragon could potentially go to 
I'm going to call her not Bela because I don't know her actual name. Uh, the, the younger Reyna. Okay. Could potentially go to Reyna, right? She wants a dragon. There's a dragon available so. potentially. That's that. That is. Um, I'm trying to think of all the children because Joff has a dragon egg. Uh-huh. Uh The other two have young dragons. Uh, mm-hmm. Now all the Targaryens on the Alicent side. They haven't mentioned Helen Helena yet, but like the two boys definitely have dragons established. Uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. Reyna would be the notable. You know, of all the eligible, most eligible dragon riders, she's probably the one that is conspicuously dragon rider list. But like, will C Smoke accept a new rider? I don't um, know. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with that because I've also wondered. Yeah, it's a good question, and it's 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 something that's uh, one of the few times where it's a novel thing for like a book reader too, because they did a little bit of a zig in here. Uh, and preserved Lenor's actual life. So if there is some kind of spiritual bond, either that's got some kind of Wi-Fi uh, fall-off distance radius where you get within 500 meters and the dragon loses connection, or mm-hmm. uh, there's going to be Sea Smoke oddly reticent to accept a new dry, uh, 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 rider, or maybe the Sea Smoke fucks off across the narrow seas, never being seen seen again. That'd be interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of people wonder about the dragons because obviously... That's going to be a big part of the military calculus. Yeah, it's important. Renee from Yosemite says, just a note about Damon. During an interview with uh, Jason Concepcion on the official HBO podcast, uh, during Comic-Con, prior to the premiere, Matt Smith said Damon does not want the throne. He did not want it, but he loves chaos. I presume that Matt is portraying Damon in this same way. I heard this before I watched episode one and I've only seen Damon as needing attention and chaos entitled younger brother with little to no pre-planning before he does anything. Does this knowledge now change either of your views as to what you've seen so far? Hmm. Well, here's a little note that I found out just from a recent interview in September with Matt Smith says Matt Smith is is starring in the upcoming HBO series House of the Dragon, where he'll be taking on the role of Prince Daemon Targaryen despite starring in the series. However, Smith has yet to finish the book the series is based on. I have not read it in its entirety. Smith said in the interview with the Rolling Stone when asked whether he's read Fire and Blood, the book the series is loosely based on. Smith wanted to joke about the book's length, calling it a big fucking book. That's right, Matt. It is 700 pages, but only about 140 deal of you. I was going to say, yeah, he doesn't need to finish that book. This this is giving big uh, kid showed up to class, didn't read his book, book report energy, kind of like, yeah, I've read. Uh, this is a big, you know, yeah. Um, sure. These these actors, like, I, not to take anything away from them, but they're not, they are, you know, like a lot of times they're only going to be aware of the shit that their character is doing in the scenes that they are going to be shooting. Like some of them, you know, you got Christopher Lee, who's like reads Tolkien every year and he was deeply invested in Saruman and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got, you know, people who are like, what book? Fuck the books. I've never even watched a Star War uh, and everything in between. That's how I feel about these. That's why I don't I, I'm not super interested in actor interviews and, and stuff, because what literally what the fuck do they know? What What do you think, Jim? Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't fault him for not reading the rest of that book. Like he got the That's parts not his job. He yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Got the parts he needed. Um, I don't know, because I wasn't getting that from early scenes. In the show, I, I was getting that he was happy to be the prince, and when that was taken away from him, he was kind of salty about it. That's how I read it, but 
I'm just a I just viewer. Keep going I'm not back. privy to all, all the inside information. I just keep going back to that scene where he's in one of the rat tunnels and he's listening to the small mm-hmm. council and Viserys says, oh, Damon doesn't even want to be king. He doesn't want that kind of responsibility. He doesn't have that kind of ambition. And Matt Smith kind of like giving like a an ironic chuckle about, yeah. I interpret that about how naive and foolish his brother is. Mm-hmm. Same here. Now, you know, a lot of years have passed. A lot of things have happened. He does seem like he's a different kind of guy. And and what you're talking about, this this undercurrent of him just wanting attention and being kind of like have his brother's love. Oh, yeah. It's certainly there, and it's a big element. But I, hmm, I don't know if he's just completely devoid of ambition like this. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jerry Decker says, I understand that Lena wanted to die a Dragon Rider's death, but it makes no sense to me that she would go kill herself and her baby when the baby still had a chance to live. In the book, she gives birth to a stillborn and goes out to Vagar and uh, but dies along the way. Do you think she told the maesters to do the C-section even though Damon didn't want them to and then went to Vagar because she knew she would then die? She did have a lot of blood on her belly. I think Jerry's asking here, Does do we have a third... Valerian Targaryen here. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess here's here's my new interpretation of the scene. She realizes, ah, shit, I'm not gonna make it. This baby's got a chance, though. She goes out and she burns away her own body, assuming that because he has uh, actual Targaryen blood, he'll be able to survive the fire. And come like out. a like like a blade of armor on the yeah. USS <laughs> on Defiant, just just uh-huh. peel chunks away of the mom until you just yep. expose the warp core of her womb. Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like peeling All away right. an orange to get to the good this parts. Why, this is why you need a king's guard, you know, to protect you from <laughs> the shit you'll get for that take. Uh, uh-huh. I, my my question is, if this is true, to what end? Uh, where is the baby going to show up? Is it going to be like a secret Essos baby? Um, is it going to come in as a late pretender to the, the crown? Yeah, the is, thing is, they don't they don't change the book that much, right? They'll make it like, well, oh, the person isn't actually dead. Oh, the the like it, it didn't go down exactly the way they thought it did in the book, but the same outcome happens, right? I mean, it's it's hard to say because, like, you know, I talked about this being about 140 pages of the book. We're on like page 20. Uh-huh. So it's like it's it's hard for me to say that they haven't made huge changes yet. Yeah, thus far, seven episodes in, they've been pretty, pretty respectful. And especially since the book gives you such wide latitude, there's like here's mm-hmm. four different people that say, you know, four mutually contradicting things about these events. What do you think? You know, and especially since Mushroom is always given as like the idiot take. Mm-hmm. The like, you know, I only have to you know, by the maester. And it seems like he's been right on the money on a lot of this stuff. Uh, it really makes you think. So, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Sheena says, at the risk of outing myself and the person I shared this experience with, I just wanted to mention that as a person who has coupled on a beach before, it helps to have on a long, flowy skirt or dress because the skirt of the dress can act like a blanket that keeps sand from getting into sensitive areas. It's not perfect, but definitely not the sandpaper sex I'm sure you guys are imagining. Rhaenyra, of course, wearing a long dress during their sex on the beach scene. I think they are good on the sand front. All right. I'll have to bring a dress with me the next time I do that. Yeah. It turns out that's the secret strategy. I should have tried wearing a dress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, like, I, are y'all not changing position? Like, 
Like, because I, 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 I it's all well can't. and good, but the, cer- the yeah. first time someone rolls around that you're introducing mm-hmm. sand into crevices and like, yeah, maybe yeah. this works on a two minute pump and dump type of scheme. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm not I'm not casting the aspersions on the beach sex here. I'm glad I'm glad you had <laughs> you made the beach blanket bingo work. But <laughs> I just say it. It doesn't seem like it's very tactically flexible. Uh, this this battlefield doctrine for sure. Moving on to William, I do have one nitpick about the disappearance of Lenore. Are we supposed to believe that he could really disappear in this world? His father's maybe the most famous person in Essos and Westeros. He's probably very famous himself being a dragon rider and a hero of the Stepstone War. And he's married to the heir to the Seven Kingdoms. I just imagine him showing up to the first port and everyone being like, Oh uh, yeah, there's, there's the Sea Snake son. Wouldn't it also be very hard to operate a ship with just two people? Also, would Corliss really not discover a missing ship and a missing guard? Which I assume is the body they burnt. Also did not buy that line from Damon saying that no one cares about your name in Essos because we all know that Illyrio cared very much about Danny and Viserys. Also, that's why Pintos cared to host Damon too. Um, are they being a little bit uh, Pollyanna about Lanor's prospects of being hidden in Essos? I, I think so. I When I think of these you know the 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 medieval uh times sort of uh way of life i think of people who very rarely if ever get to see their leaders faces like very rarely i mean when would you see them there's no television there's no photographs there's no anything the best you can do is like a painting a drawing if you don't meet them in person which 99.9 percent of the population never will yeah. You're not going to know what they look like. You'll only know them by name. Yeah. Yeah, especially when, you know, they're publicly known as dead. Sure. Like, would you really? And, and there's, there's a, a person lot of doubt who yeah. is, has none of the Targaryen features in terms of hair and all that stuff. Like, I, I think what you're saying about that they're not being like Instagram and right. the celebrity culture. I mean, everyone knows who the king and queen are, and what. The, but they, they've like most people in Westeros are never going to physically see the king and queen. Yeah. They're going to live their whole lives without being be, be, be like make a pilgrimage to King's Landing. Uh, they're never they're they're never you know they they live in a minor lord's holdings that the king's never going to come and feast at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's that's the king and queen. Start thinking and about that's the in Westeros. That's so in now Westeros. Think about a new land. Yeah. Now think about like yeah, like uh, you're you're in the you know uh, Westeros equivalent of Bulgaria, uh-huh. and the president's daughter's lover has murdered, and he shaved his head and gone off to live in Bulgaria. Like ah, and and again, that's 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 with like all the modern uh, stuff. I forget. I had his go to. I had this go to um, a real life example of I think it was President Xi Jing in China, like that there was like this famous case of mistaken identity with him because like if if like if hmm. if President Xi was just chilling at Walt Disney World, you know, licking an ice cream cone or in flip flops, yeah, and if <laughs> flip flops and a Winnie the Pooh shirt, uh-huh. <laughs> would you, unless you're a diehard John Oliver fan, be like, mm-hmm. holy shit, that's President Jing? I don't think so because like yeah it's so far out of your context. First of all, do you know right now how many people raise your hand if you know what this guy looks like? Sure. And but and 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 I'm you've weird. always seen him, he's in a suit, right? 
Mm-hmm. He's, he's in his, uh, you know, like uh, like the set and setting is so important to that. He has so hair. I, he's got hair. What yeah, he now imagine him. Yeah, imagine he's shaved. Yeah. Right. He's got the mm-hmm. flip flops and the Winnie the Yeah. Uh, and he's not wearing Winnie the Pooh. That would give it away. He's wearing, uh, I don't know, Eeyore. Um, yeah, I mean, I had. Everybody listening, have you been in close enough proximity to the president of the United States to see him with your own two eyes? Because if not, that's like living in Westeros with a king. Yeah. And you don't have television. Exactly. Yeah. You're never going to see him anywhere. Uh, Yeah. I think it's perfectly reasonable to think he could hide out. Um, But honestly, it's something like I don't know that um, the thought that we just put into it is thought that like like, I, I think that most people don't actually stop and think about oh what is the real lived experience of medieval people in other countries and how are their sure, politics sure. so like it wouldn't shock me if they do something you know it's like because because that's a big question is like did they do that just to soften Rhaenyra's image because now she's a murderer sure but she murdered mm-hmm. kind of a nobody so do, do we even <laughs> that's the thing is like I, I didn't get it I thought I'd get a bunch of email roasting us for like oh so she can just kill some rando dude and it's cool but you greens are slacking uh, well, Damon did the killing. Rhaenyra hasn't killed anybody. Still Team Black. Still Team Black. You, yeah. You, you take credit for the dubs, you got to take True. credit for the L's. Alexis from Dallas, Texas. Alexis, Texas. We have a celebrity here. Uh, wanted to send in a hopefully brief email about this interview that Emily Carey has done with Variety. Uh, one of the frustrating issues I've had with House of the Dragon is the time jumps that lead us to having, yes, some epic scenes and big moments, but we lose the smaller character interactions between. This is really pushed forward by the interview from Emily where she says that the two primary reasons Allison felt betrayed by Rhaenyra was one, she had sworn on her mother's grave, which makes sense because they had bonded over their mother's uh, shared passings. And two, because Allison was in love with Christian Cole. I'm not sure if there's a deleted scene that was cut for time or this was direction to her from the sh- directors and show owners. It was supposed to be subtext to turn into no text. I think it's an issue exa- exas- exacerbated by the time jumps and quick pacing that we don't get the beautiful character building motivations and attachment we all had to early seasons of Game of Thrones. Your thoughts? I, I think that last statement was a little blanket for me because um, I'm finding <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely am getting a lot of characterization and deep motivations uh-huh. from people, but maybe on that one aspect, yeah, I definitely... I agree. I wasn't picking up that she was in love with Kristen Cole. I think like I touched on this on my um, our full blown take uh, that like I do think it's not hard to see naked jealousy and it it might not be just uh-huh. a particular at Kristen Cole, although I do think I saw the Emily played. You know, you remember the early attorney scene of, of her mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Rhaenyra being kind of girls and be like, oh, look how cute this guy. Oh, look how cute this guy is and all that stuff. Um, I thought that she put a little bit of mustard on on her seeing Kristen Cole for the first time and being like, oh, this is an exceptionally handsome night. Um, and that, uh, that, 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 yeah, yeah, that she always wanted that for herself to be, you know, romanced by a knight of the realm and have the, you know, this this courtly romance and he's this beautiful man and he's a worthy protector and she keeps her purity for him and they live up, you know, it's like that fairy tale stuff, literally fairy tale stuff. And she got that taken from her. Um, and even if it's not bound to the man, it's bound to that whole idea of like Rhaenyra has gotten to do whatever the fuck she wants and she can be the bad girl and I have to be the good girl and it sucks. Mm hmm. Yeah, that that latter part is definitely what I was feeling is it's more of a jealousy of lifestyle, not necessarily a jealousy of like 
you got my man. But I also can't stress how much that like this is all just backdrop for what the the story that they're actually trying to tell. And it's like I, I keep thinking like what is like if you if you look at the old Game of Thrones series, you know, and like people would could say, you know, man, you hear a lot about Ned confronting Jamie on the Iron Throne. But boy, it'd been nice to see like was Jamie really lounging on it all or was, you know, was he just kind of resting there and like, oh, this is fucked up. I just killed the king, um, you know, uh, and and. They re- keep rewinding. It's like, well, we hear that Ned and and uh, Robert are best buddies, but wouldn't it be nice if we could go and see some scenes in John Aaron's courtyard where they're sparring with the Master of Arms, and you know, Robert's this big strapping guy, and Ned's this kind of scrawny brooding guy, and like we could really understand their friendship and and all that. And but but like you know, you're getting further and further away from the Jon Snow and Danny and Sansa and Arya plot that you're trying to tell. And you can always keep rolling mm-hmm. back and be like, well, why did the Mad King turn mad? Was he ever always a bad <laughs> sure, guy? Or... Sure. And then I just like keep saying like, it's yes, like talking it would to be... a child about why the sky is blue, right? Yeah, it would be nice to have more, but I cannot stress how much more we're getting than the books give you for all mm-hmm. of these things. So, like, as a now, I can't tell you, you know, that you're you're having a bad opinion that you feel like there's something missing and you want more. All I can just say is, from a book reader's perspective, I can't believe how much more we're getting. Like, I am just honestly mm-hmm. delighted that we got five episodes with Emily and uh, uh, ah, Millie. Uh, before we got on to the, you know, Olivia and uh, Emma show. So that's that's just my perspective I'm coming from. And like I said, the show can always do more. But you can say that about literally any point in any show's existence. Like anytime they mention like a backstory or a motivation or character, it's like, well, why can't we just flash back or better yet start the story there so we can fully appreciate it? I don't know. I'm a big, big fan of show, not tell. And the show just kind of allowing you to put these pieces together, um, putting that little bit of effort into it kind of almost makes it more rewarding for me. But I'm, I don't know. I might be coming across as a, a show apologist here. There's still lots of hot D left to talk about. We'll be right back after the break. And now back to hot D. Let's move on to Nick says, um, who kind of like I, I want to throw in his quote as a counterpoint. He says, I feel like a certain linen quote applies to House of the Dragons. There are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happens. Um, sure. Yeah. Like there's stuff that happens in the 10 years we flash forward. But, you know, it's it's uh, Rhaenyra and uh, uh, Lenor trying and kind of progressively losing interest in it. And the the, the relationship between Harlan Harwin maturing and. But like, is that is that the thing that's important to the show, or did the show want to get to kind of Rhaenyra and Damon? Yeah, no, I got everything that yeah. I think I needed to get, despite right. the time jump. You know, they told me just by the set and setting, like, okay, where is everybody now? I guess this yeah. must have happened, and that must have happened, and then here we yeah. are. I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Harwin Rhaenyra relationship is fractionally more important than uh, to to Rhaenyra than the Sir Kristen Cole Rhaenyra, you know, relationship. It's like sure, right? Um, Brett from Chicago says I've listened to readers and pods for the House of the Dragon, and Allison's objective isn't as clear as I've heard it. Uh, as I've heard it argued both ways. One, she's aiming to hurt Rhaenyra's claim to the throne and wants her son Aegon to inherit, or threats to Rhaenyra's claim, i.e. the bastard children rumor slash reality spreading, puts her children in more danger as it increases the likelihood for war and her sons being put under the knife. Which is it? 
Does she want to delegitimize Rhaenyra, thinking this will make Aegon's claim stronger? Or as uh, much reader feedback keeps pointing to, does Rhaenyra's children paternal strong line becoming knowledge uh, across the realm put her kids in more danger? Does Allison think civil war is inevitable and she uh, is gaining forces by weakening Rhaenyra's claim? Or is she feeling so scorned by Rhaenyra that she isn't seeing things clearly? You have any... I think, I think it's both. I think Why can't That's... it be both? Because like... Yeah. If... If she thinks that Rhaenyra is going to first chance she gets come at her children, she would want to fortify her position as much as she can by drawing all the lords to her side. And you do that mm -hmm. by delegitimizing Rhaenyra and her children. Right. So I, right. I think it's both, actually. Yeah, you've got the standing feeling of the realm, which is in general, women shouldn't be rulers. Mm hmm. You've got the assumption that if there is a ruler who has got a weak claim to the throne, there will be pretend there will be other people that try to usurp that, you know, and take that, that from them. And then you've also got a great deal of well-earned personal animosity between these two women that goes back to their childhoods, um, hurts and lies and disappointments and duties and sacrifice versus trampling of thus under pretty little feet. Like it's they, they feed into each other like with. So, so like, I, I'm with you. I'm on team. Uh, it's all. It all goes into there. It all. Yeah, it I mean, all Allison is, thinks it's a foregone conclusion that her kids are in danger. So, right. It, right. She, she and she doesn't think there's any way out of that, right? Because her dad told her so. Right, and that that also feeds in because like even though I think that's not something Rainier is thinking of right now, um, right. it's something that Allison can't help but filter everything through. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. And like I said, it's it's complicated because Allison, I think, genuinely believes that. And I think that's a true thing that would happen because of the first thing I mentioned, which is the realm in general doesn't like to see women sit in places of power with titles and responsibilities that they have to kneel to. Mm -hmm. So that is the that's the pro if you want to blame anything for causing a situation, that's a number one. And then B number two is probably auto leaning into it and then filling her his daughter mm -hmm. instead of being like hey this is how the realm is going to act so we need to spend the next decade or two shoring up your you know making sure that we make smart marriage alliances and we get in thick with this and, and that the and maybe realm changing the realm's mind or trying to yeah prepare the realm to accept Rhaenyra uh -huh. you know but I think it's like he thinks that shit's impossible and I don't know have you sure, ever ran sure. across Someone who thinks the societal change is impossible, you mm -hmm. know, uh, or is too much to ask. Like I have. It's 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 frustrating. But yeah. Anyway, Mar Mary from Highland Park, Illinois, says, I think Allison will start picking and biting her nails once her dad comes back. We mentioned that that was something that um, oh. Sapochnik and Condal had mentioned that, that that's the one thing they'd worked on with the adult and child actors like, oh, the nail biting is going to be a thing. But we've also said it doesn't seem like the elder uh, Allison is picking her nails nearly as much. Uh, this is a good point. Of course, uh, or I said, I bet uh, even though she thinks she wants him back, he's actually a great cause of her anxiety because parents, you know, for the last 10 years, she's had more at least perceived control over her life. She's taken back some control for herself, which is shown in her chamber's decor, the way she uh, panders to Viserys versus when she chooses to ignore him, taking Crispin under her control, etc. And that was all mostly post daddy leaving. Again, things are about to change for her drastically. Daddy Otto is coming back, etc. And now look at what Laris has done. She feels like she's losing control. Personally, I felt at the end she wanted to go at her nails and she was holding it back. That little piece of character continuity has got to be coming. And we know she's about to break after all. 
Um, I think this is a smart take. I would mm-hmm. wondered about that, but her dad driving her to picking, thinking that she's just never good enough, and that being an outward manifestation of her her, her perceived inward flaws. I think that's a pretty smart take. Sure, makes a lot of sense. Penelope, here's a random thought on jewelry playing a role in plots on Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. The first time I saw Laris's beetle pins on the tongueless servants uh, of the clubfoot, it seemed to me that the butts of the plugs were... Sorry. (laughs) The butts of the bugs were glowing. Uh And my mind went straight to thinking, are these accessories tiny vessels of wildfire? The next scene was a massive fatal fire burning out of control and burning up bodies. I heard you mention in previous feedback show that the bugs were supposed to be fireflies. This made me curious about the weaponized jewelry idea. Uh, wasn't there also a poison hidden in a necklace at the OG Joffrey wedding, the purple wedding? Uh, I think it's, it's Sansa's hairnet is what was the deal. But maybe they changed that to a locket that Littlefinger gave. Right? I, I can't remember the details. Uh, I watched the scene again and the close up the bug pin does look like it could be filled with something glowing or it could be a trick of the light with a gemstone like amber or topaz. I haven't heard this wildfire glow bug theory anywhere else. So I had to write it in. I like this theory a lot. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wildfire is green, right? The fire that results from wildfire is green. So that fire was definitely orange. So I don't think it's literally wildfire, Mm. but it could be some other kind of flammable liquid. But also could like, would if you took like um, a pea sized bit of dragon fire or wildfire to start a structure fire, would the mm-hmm. whole thing burn green? Because I'm wondering, like, yeah, like if that's I like, don't know. Uh, yeah, good question. Because uh, it could be just like you just you just need a little bit. You smear it on the uh, the right rafter or joist, and you get it mm-hmm. going to fire. And then you know, yeah, that'll blaze green. But once it starts igniting the other stuff, at what point does the wildfire accelerant run out, and you're just burning, you know, wood, wood and sure. textiles and other stuff? Yeah, good point. I don't know. I think it's a great theory, Penelope. I think it's a great theory. And it would be mm-hmm. awesome, like, if that's the, their chosen method of suicide. It's like they just, like, drag that the wild firefly fire. or oh. they just throw it down at their feet and they're just engulfed in oh, green okay. flame or, yeah. oh, bite it. You're sucking, like, bite it like a cyanide uh-huh. pill and it just turns you into Ghost Rider for <laughs> 30 <laughs> yeah. seconds. Uh, I like it. Good work, Penelope. Moving on to Daniel J. After years of performing what I gently characterize as a straight man role to Aaron's comedy onslaught, we must find us or we find ourselves in an era where Jim is getting to me to laugh out loud at a nearly one to one ratio. How did this happen? <laughs> oh, when no. did this happen? What did I say? What did I say? Uh, oh, shit. You're a funny man, Jim, I guess. Um, I've always guess thought so. so. Uh, secondly, Jim seems to be suffering from what I've started to think of Allison derangement syndrome. Uh oh. Uh oh. We're getting into the spicy parts. There has to be something about the character or the actress playing her that reminds Jim of an ex-lover who scorned him. Or a mean school teacher, perhaps. Someone who caused him real trauma because my man is triggered. Allison is one of the... Did I go this hard against Allison? Boy. (laughs) And now I'm thinking back through my history. Hmm. Anybody Uh, like her? I'm saying this this got spicy in email. Uh, Allison is one of the only truly sympathetic and reasonable characters in the show. Somehow the more sympathetic. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Okay. All right. There's the derangement. It's flaring up. Uh, And somehow the most sympathetic and reasonable she acts, the more Jim characterizes it as insane or power thirsty. I have to laugh at this while sympathizing with Jim and the obvious pain that's being unearthed for him. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've, um, I've come to see the battle lines in the show as being drawn along rational and anti-rational lines. Wow, we're going, we're going way high in the worldview on this one. Right, like I mean, Allison Earth. is clearly anti-rational. She's oh, oh. crazed. Okay, I want to get this mm-hmm. on the record. Keep, keep going. Are, you, are we done? <laughs> Good for now. I'll okay. see the rest of the email. Like in Earth's medieval world, we've moved on a continuum from savagery to scientific values. And this has produced in the Enlightenment didn't happen overnight and we're still to this day ridding ourselves of our superstitious past and worship of power over reason the high towers and their close association with the citadel represent learning and what would become the call be called the scientific method in our world an idea that the truth is not revealed and does not exist in our past but is an ever-changing and ever-improving state of flux and only be refined by questioning and open-mindedness allison's being gaslit she knows what her senses tell her is true, that Rhaenyra's children are bastards and a threat to peaceful succession. But Viserys says it's not okay to speak out loud the truth that's evident to all. Viserys going through his reign clouded by sentimentality. He looks at the tinderbox of conflict about the light fire in front of him as the kids train in the yard, and he chooses to see a hallmark fiction that's not there. Meanwhile, Lord Strong, lealest of them all, looks on to the same events with his mouth hanging open, knowing he's witnessing a shitstorm being stirred up. Yeah, viewers side of Viserys because he's sweet and charming, despite the fact that he's asleep at his post and his oversight is going to plunge the realm into chaos. This has become the dynamic of the lot of commentary I'm hearing. If Allison follows the rules and tries to protect her family, she's a bitch. If the Targaryens make the same moves, it's okay because they're sexy, no matter how unreasonable or self-centered. Hmm. Uh, so actually, he said the opposite, that Allison yeah, yeah. is the scientific, sober-minded, rational... Uh, and Rhaenyra is the, right. the romantic, flighty, given to notions ter- type person. What, yeah. what say you? And those of us, uh, those of us with ADS, seem to think the opposite is what he's saying. Sure. Uh, On a scale of one to treason, what is cu- accusing the king of derangement syndrome? Uh, <laughs> how, how far do I have to pull my sword out of its scabbard on this one, Jim? I just want all the way. You fight all the to way. The death oh. On this one. Yeah. oh boy. Oh boy. Right. I mean, you can't call the king deranged. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> even when he is, even when he is, yeah. The more deranged he is, the less you can call him deranged. That's just a fact. <laughs> that's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah, you don't want to call a deranged man deranged. Uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with the fact that she's being gaslit and that that everybody knows the real truth and nobody's willing to say it. I just think that when she's given opportunities to get out of this situation, she refuses them because she's angry at her teenage friend and it's it's really it's really weighing on me can't let it go and again it's not that it's just a teenage petty bullshit there's also the very real political concern of what happens in succession as you know, oh i did again yeah. it's not i'm doesn't mean not defending allison i'm just telling you that's her worldview and it's not based in complete bullshit and delusion like it's a very yeah, real thing that that can happen to a person in her position so uh that's the one side uh let's go to jack d from boston who says i'm admittedly 100 percent pro rhaenyra so i realize i'm unable to be impartial but i hate hearing aaron sticking up for allison no matter how mm. correct allison is about the things that will happen about after viserys dies and uh, it is her father who purposely put her in that position Otto knew all the ramifications before he told his daughter to seduce the king in my mind the upcoming disaster stems from his actions Allison used to be able to see this and has now decided not to. Did she just decide not to? Or was she lied to by people she thought she could trust? <laughs> Same people she'll have to trust to not fucking kill her and her children in the upcoming mm-hmm. succession. 
Uh, sure, she will have people telling her that she needs to, but I did not believe for a second that she would. Otto was seeking to get his family onto that throne. He has stated, uh, start. he started this whole thing. His, he passed his paranoia down to his daughter, and now his daughter is passing that paranoia down to her children. Uh, I know Aaron's trying to maintain impartiality, but I don't like hearing it. Don't let it affect you too much, Jim. Allison's a horrible person who's surrounding herself with horrible people. <laughs> I mean, she obviously makes a huge mistake in this latest episode, right? Rushing yeah. the, the air... Rushing the princess with a knife intent on killing her is not the way to go about this, whether you're being gaslit or not. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to keep it leal. You can hate a person. I don't care. But I feel like to genuinely hate a person, you have to at least make an effort to understand their point of view. And if you can't at least articulate in like a fair, you don't have to agree with it, but you can like Allison thinks this and this. And, you know, uh, I, I just I just I just I don't know. I just I, I think that doesn't speak well of your ability to kind of like soberly size people up. And if you want to cape for the greens and the blacks, uh, that's cool. I'm just trying to keep things dark green over here. I'm trying to go olive in my perspective <laughs> mm-hmm. because there's a war coming and they're not going to be a lot of innocents making it out of this whole deal. Right. Mm hmm. So I think it's it's just so funny to me that people are losing their minds over Allison and Rhaenyra and there hasn't even been that much blood spilled yet. Like no one's died yeah. really as a direct result of these two's bullshit. So mm-hmm. it's going to get wild. It's going to get it's <laughs> going to get fucking wild. Yeah. Uh, I hope everybody's this worked up about is at least registered to vote in our real world shit going on in November. <laughs> oh, like please, if, if you're this please. if you're this invested, I hope you've at least registered in the state that you can vote in, because um, that would yeah. be nice. Uh, Brandon says, while much of the focus on episode seven was on the tension between the widening fractions within and between the bloodlines, it seems as if the true underlying theme of Hot D was finally spelled out to us viewers. Legacies. Perhaps the most obvious legacy chess game is being played, uh, seen is seen with Otto Hightower. This is a man that may indeed largely want what's best for the kingdom, but also wants what's best for his name. Not just him or his daughter or his grandchildren, but he's a man who wants to die knowing that his legacy is that he was the crafter and executor of a master plan to put the high towers on the Iron Throne, a plan that Allison has entirely bought into come episode six. Um, and I, I got to wonder how much Otto actually wants it and how much of this is just specific pressure from his older brother to make the high towers that much higher and how much of it is just the inherent pressure of being a second son. His you older know. brother? He has a brother? Yeah. Yeah. Otto, he's the one that kept on showing up and he congratulated Allison for, you know, being able to stand tall in her green dress. And he's the one that told was putting oh, pressure yeah, yeah. on Otto to okay, like, hey, you, they've been you seen get like once. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah he's, yeah. You got, you got to get Otto, you got to get uh, Aegon prepared for the throne. Has he been putting pressure on him? I, uh, that guy didn't register to me at all. The only time oh, he did was during the wedding feast when Allison literally goes up to him and talks to the, to him and his aunt or her aunt. Yeah, and I know we have only seen him like two or three times. Um, and I, I, I felt like we've talked about it, but like I, I did get the impression, especially around the hunting expedition, the royal mm-hmm. hunt, that Otto's brother was really leaning on him. Now that Aegon was there to like, you need to, you need to get this, the tracks grease for this kid to be on the iron throne. No one's going to accept this Rhaenyra thing. And that's when Otto really started pushing, which ultimately led to Viserys being like the fuck man and dismissing him. Like as, wow. as much. Okay. I'm, you know, like, as, 
as much as Rhaenyra was the one that got him to do the axe, like Otto's pushing and, you know, generally trying to be a fat leech is, I think, what what soured Viserys. Because if Rhaenyra just mm-hmm. came and be yeah, like, hey, yeah. this guy's a fuck, this, this guy's a fuckhead uh, out of nowhere. I don't think Viserys cares. But like, right. She was articulating his private fears and thoughts himself. Um, anyway, back to the whole legacy thing. In episode five, Brandon says, we see Viserys talking to Lord Strong, asking him how he'll be remembered. Again, what will my legacy be when I'm gone? Note how, uh, not how will the kingdom thrive or will my daughter be a great leader or anything like that? Simply, what will they say about me? Come episode six and seven, there's been no topic to date that we've seen that can put Viserys over the edge as much as questioning the legitimacy and bloodlines of his grandchildren. He's the one man willing to look past what others see as obvious, not because he loves Rhaenyra or his grandchildren, but because it would tarnish, if not entirely dismantle, his legacy. Again, I think both is true. I think he's he, this dude's crazy about his grandkids, seems yeah. like. Yeah. But but also, yeah, the legacy. Uh, in episode seven, we see Corliss go to Luke and inform him that he will be inheriting Driftmark, much like Viserys, willing to look beyond the obvious. Uh, again, legacies. We later see why Corliss informed Luke about his inheritance in the scene with Corliss and Rhaenys sitting fireside following the funeral. Corliss begins uh, to bring up again how the crown was stolen from Rhaenys, to which Rhaenys, for the umpteenth time, tells him she gave up that grudge long ago. She's somewhat disgusted that Corliss would allow bastards to inherit it over pure-blood grandchildren that Lena and Damon birth, telling him that they are Lena's legacy. But it's clear that Corliss sees justification in this because of Luke's proximity to the Iron Throne is greater than his granddaughter's. An emotional Corliss responds with, history does not remember blood, it remembers names. That line itself feels like it should be the tagline for the entire show. Game of Thrones was purely about power. It wasn't about building a foundation for generational greatness. The players were living in the moment and largely playing checkers and not chess. Uh, shout out to the exception, Tywin Lannister. I was going to say, is all, ironic, but all about that dynasty. Hot, all about that hot D and that D was dynasty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, these people want to acquire the Iron Throne because of what it would mean to them in that moment. But as Jim often points out, the major players here are not seeking the throne for themselves. In fact, they have next to no desire for it besides Rhaenyra and perhaps Daemon. But beyond that, it's all about future generations and these current adults being able to rest in their graves knowing they establish greatness for their families. Uh, at this point, I cannot fairly say I'm more entertained than I was by Game of Thrones, but I can absolutely say I'm more emotionally invested. The show has brought out the hate, frustration, mm-hmm. and tension so quickly and through so many subtle ways that in many, uh, many ways, I believe this may be a superior show in terms of its depth. The tension that some of these scenes create, where perhaps only a line or two are spoken for minutes at a time, is simply incredible. I think that's pretty high praise, and I know that yeah. people probably won't universally agree with it, but like... I think this show has caught on to something because people are arguing about this. And it, I I chose two representative sides, but like literally so many messages talking about how much they hate Allison or how much they hate Rhaenyra mm-hmm. or why can't Rhaenyra see this or why can't Allison? It's 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 wild. They've really tapped into some kind of live cultural wire here. Turns out when you divide people uh, with anger and fear uh, it's pretty effective, and that's what we're seeing here, right? The story is is inviting you to pick a side and yeah. to vociferously defend your side and attack the other, and I think that is... I don't know. I don't know if they're intentionally doing that, if they're they're trying to make some commentary there, or if it's just that's the nature of this story, and so it's bound to happen. 
but yeah, I definitely see people taking sides, people deciding, well, this side is is more at fault than this other side, and so I'm going with them. Uh, because that's where I'm at. I'm I'm definitely on team black at this point. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I, I find it hard to believe that I could be swayed from that opinion. Sarah says, I admit I haven't read Fire and Blood or really any of the materials outside of the main Song of Fire series. But isn't it kind of bizarre that Aegon and Helena would be betrothed that Aegon isn't the heir? If Viserys is truly all in on Rhaenyra, doesn't it make more sense politically to marry his other kids off to major houses and keep forging alliances that way? Are there other examples of non-ruling Targaryens who have intermarried like this? If not, how could Alicent, who sold this to Viserys, uh, without raising major suspicions? Even if he's pretending everything is fine, I feel like it's a conversation he should have shut down, similar to him telling her to stop bringing up Jace and Luke's parentage. And how are Team Black not concerned by this news? It seems like something that should have come up with Rhaenyra and Daemon uh, when they're discussing their own marriage plans. Clearly, Team Green is already making moves to consolidate power. I I don't know what you think about this, Jim, but I, I have a totally opposite take. What do you, what do the, you think? This is the marriage of a, no, a, Aegon, Aegon and Helena? Yeah, the spider clamshell girl. They're his sister. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, I'm thinking hmm. if Viserys is trying to cement Rhaenyra's legacy, that he would be busy betrothing those children off to the great lords because sure. that would make them more likely to back Rhaenyra's claim. Like if he was letting Aegon marry the Aaron into the Aarons and he was letting Helena marry into the Baratheons uh, or uh Aemon is marrying a Stark girl or something like that. Um that would mean those lords would be like if if Aegon declared and that side of the family is up again like they have all these allies mm-hmm. and what's Jay Scott, you know? What's uh what's you know, he's just got Luke and so I, I think it's the opposite of if if uh that's a smart play because that's just that's just tightening the Targaryen bond that it's not actually wedding any of the other major houses to you so it makes sense if Viserys wants to backdoor you know shore up Rhaenyra's claim here's the thing I don't think Viserys is thinking about this very much Viserys is is more asleep at the wheel than he is like politicking here and he's not preparing for a war at all as best I can tell he just wants his family to get along and he thinks he can just by fiat come in there and say you guys are going to get along and that's the end of it and Rhaenyra is going to sit on the throne and her kids will sit on the throne eventually. I don't think he's playing the game. It does make me think that, like, why did Alicent suggest this or Otto? Because it is an odd play. It doesn't it doesn't strengthen their ties to any of the the, the lords that they might need to carry the, the, the carry their banners for them. Well, it's the blood, right? I mean, I and that's the thing, like, you know, Corliss is over there saying the name is what matters, not the blood. And Allison is over here shoring up the bloodline, making sure that she's pure Targaryen. Over yeah, there. maybe if you got like super duper Targaryen on one side. <laughs> right. Uh, and then Versus on the other side, bastards you got over there. Yeah, maybe blast bastards and they're married off to a Baratheon or Stark. Like, you know, what are we doing? Like a quarter of Valerian's blood at right. best. Yeah, she can claim the true lineage through blood. But but is that going to be? Is that going to be enough? Because Corliss yeah. seems to think it's the other way around. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, appreciate the email. 
M says, as I started watching the show, I noticed the framing of it was from a more feminine perspective. A lot of things that Game of Thrones left unremarked upon concerning a woman's place in society. Uh, mostly, they did try poorly at times, especially with Arya's not like other girls shtick. Pick me. Arya, the original pick me. You heard it here first. Our front and center in this show. Things that are a matter of note uh, or wrote in Game of Thrones are commented on or portrayed in a harsher light. Child marriage, childbirth, women standing, no matter how noble, etc. That's something I've immensely enjoyed. That said, I was surprised by the triumphant music playing when Aemon was flying. I felt like it called for more sinister score, given that he was literally stealing from his cousin. Yes, I understand that technically the dragon wasn't claimed by her daughter, but you can technically be in the right and still be an asshole. Mm-hmm. I cannot stand Eamon's ride on the dragon. No amount of beautiful swelling music could hide what it was, which is an outright display of entitlement on behalf of the youngest prince. I truly don't understand how we're supposed to feel for or root for Alicent and her awful children, and they are awful. Maybe not full-blown psychopaths, but awful. Eamon taking <laughs> the dragon from a grieving family and then starting a fight over it's indefensible. At every turn, he escalates it. Again, I'm not a book reader, but it amazed me that Damon allowed it to happen and that the truth of the matter didn't come out. Sure, he was bullied by his brothers and nephews, but that's not so far outside the realm of teasing. Even then, an explanation of how desperately he wanted a dragon is not an excuse for his awful behavior. Um, and then they go on and explain how they've grown to hate Alicent and how you are, in fact, the wiser of the two hosts for seeing through this thin veneer of Rhaenyra bullshit. Uh, <laughs> or, I mean, Alicent, uh, Alicent bullshit. Um, I, I, I think you're, you're right. That was a... That was a dark moment played as like this lighthearted, fun, uh, triumphant thing. But that was kind of the point. Yeah. 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 And and I think like people who are watching the show uh, and and keeping all of the dynamics in mind, like you clearly are, see that and go, oh, no, this is going to be a problem for poor not Bela, whose name I don't even know. Uh, (laughs) Right. Raina. I'm uh-huh. gonna call her not Bela till the end of this series, That's I'm sure. Fine with me. Uh I'm your sworn shield after all. But for but for people who who aren't remembering that stuff, and there's probably a lot of people who just don't didn't think of that in the moment, we're just like, oh, this is gonna be cool and and they see that and they're like, Hell yeah, he's riding this dragon, it's awesome. The next scene is the scene where it hits, right? Where the yeah. kids come in. And I think there's they're setting up that one two punch there. Yeah, and it worked pretty well, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if people are getting pissed that like it feels like the show has a thumb on the scale. Because I, I guess if I'm judging yeah. impartially and and legally, I think that the show is favoring Rhaenyra. Like it's trying to say that she is the aggrieved, wounded party. That mm-hmm. you know she's got the yeah that she's got the stuff, and the show's kind of like I think its point of view leaning towards rooting for her. Yeah, because she's not the one who's and, and that must going piss behind people's you off. backs. And... That must piss you off to no end if you're a green. That it feels like the sure. show is like putting its thumb on the scale of which side you should root for rather than just being a documentary, you know? Yeah, I bet so. Um, What was I wanting to say here? I mean, yeah, like I said, it's... um, I think that... You also, if we're going to look at from it from Eamon's perspective, he's got the second son mm-hmm. thing going on. And that is, you know, uh, the big burr up Otto's ass. It's the big burr up Damon's ass. And now you've got this kid who's a second son and he doesn't even have a dragon. All of his brothers, including those goddamn bastards that his mother's always talking about being barely Targaryen, have dragons and he's got none. 
So like all these expectations, even his younger sister's got a dragon gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these expectations are just like, and again, it, it it doesn't excuse it, doesn't make him being a bully right. But the fact that all of the son, the other sons, are bullying him over that, and I don't think you're supposed to understand it. Like the pink dread was like the one and only time they did it. No, like, no, no. This is an escalation series. Like just, just it, it seems like his demeanor is completely different from the other children's. Probably because he gets the shit bullied out of him. Um, <laughs> Again, that, 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 again, I'm not saying what he's doing is right. I'm not saying he should punch his knee, uh, his other, the other children, and, and try to <laughs> beat their heads in with rocks. I, but I, I also get it. I get it a little bit. Yeah. And if I'm if I'm cutting like all, to the extent that I cut Otto and Damon slack, which I try I try to cut everybody like as much slack as far as like how can I understand why they became this way? Because they probably didn't walk out of they get out of bed today and just like yawn and stretch and be like you know what. Think I'm going to be evil today. Think I'm going to choose violence. Like, how did they get there? And I think that you look at Eamon and what's shaping him, and you can kind of see, you know, Otto, and you can see Damon in that, too. Mm -hmm. There's still lots of hot D to talk about. We'll be back right after the break. And now, back to hot D. Anyway, uh, M wants to move on and talk about Eamon and his eye. Either they gave that kid milk of the poppy or he's damn tough. Actually, I think this mm-hmm. is Dragon Walker. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I misattributed this to somebody. Either they get the kid the milk of the poppy or he's damn tough. I've had both of my eyes surgically removed. And prior to that, I had glaucoma. You'll recall that Dragon Walker mm-hmm. is one of our blind fans. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse than either toothache or eye pain. It's like the worst headache ever, yeah. plus dizziness and all sorts of other visual effects. And uh, that's with the glaucoma. Eye removal hurts initially in part because they just have to work to get the eye out. The bruising is spectacular for about six weeks. Uh, yeah, I know too much information, but you all started it. <laughs> if Eamon, Eamon loses his eye, he's, it's probably due to trauma-induced glaucoma, which is going to hurt for a while on all counts. But hey, it's worth it for the dragon, right? Um I got to say, I, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned that, that like I thought I was very impressed with the way Eamon kind of took that stitching over a very oh, sensitive yeah. part of his body. No, he's crazy tough. Uh, he and might, he might be on Milk of the Poppy, too. It's true. Um, yeah. And he, he might be a total asshole and a huge douche canoe, but the dude's got, between the Vagar and rocking that uh, eye-putting-out scene, he's got mm-hmm. stones the size of dragon eggs, I think. Lamine in DC said, I thought Driftmark was another great House of the Dragon episode. As usual with the Song of Ice and Fire stories, I'm left wondering about the character's choices. Damon is Rhaenyra's uncle. Did you really need to marry him to gain him as an ally? And he was staging Lanor's death. Was staging Lanor's death necessary? I feel like this potentially weakens her by alienating Corliss and Rhaenys. I still need to be convinced how this shores up Rhaenyra's assets for the inevitable conflict. Hmm. This is a good question. Yeah. Why couldn't Rhaenyra be like, I need you, uncle, in the in the way that you need family in times of war with your dragons and your loyalties and, you know, not necessarily in my bed? Well, and and be with him the way that she was with Harwin, right? <laughs> like unofficially. I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, That's yeah, a yeah. good question. Um, I mean, it sends a strong signal to the realm, uh, the strongest of signals. I mean that could be what they're going for here. Um, it definitely says, Hey, Damon's dragons and all of his affiliates are on my side. Right. I think the fact that like Damon is 
for better or worse, the one of the biggest badasses in the kingdom and has one of he's probably got a top three dragon in terms of combat, especially since, you know, um, I, I'm not sure if it's like horses, but, you know, there's the idea of like a horse. You might ha- be bred for combat. You might have this big charger that's designed to carry a knight into battle. But like until it has to charge down a line and jump into a bunch of lances or deal with blood and mud and fire in the <laughs> battlefield, you don't know how that horse is going to behave. Uh, Caraxes is all about it, man. He's down there. He's eating dudes. He's tanking arrows. He's screaming and setting dudes on fire. Sea smokes the same way. A lot of these other dragons that have, you know, it's, it's been 70 years since there's been a war. It's been 70 years since these dragons have been flown into combat. You got to wonder, you know, uh, are, are, are all these guys going to have the stuff or some of these dragons going to be not timid. I don't think that's in a dragon's nature, but you know, I guess useful in combat. Are they going to go crazy? Are they going to like heed the, their master's uh, instruction? Are they going to breathe fire into right people? It's tricky. And when I think about it, the <laughs> what's the alternative here to send the same message? Because like you can't just send out a message that says, "Hey, realm," uh, send out ravens to every lord and say, "Hey, realm, uh, Damon and I are now." allied so don't fuck with us in the coming civil war nobody thinks there's a civil war coming right i i mean the lords may hear in time about what happened with allison and rhaenyra in this episode but they don't know yet and you're you're not going to send a message that tells them that so what you've got to do is send a message that is like cloaked in some other message you have to say we're married and all the lords will go oh god okay they're and they'll take note, right? They'll say, okay, they're together now, so don't fuck with them. Uh, no, I think you've got, I think you got the right of it there, Jim, that it's it's about sending a message. Because even from Rhaenyra's own POV, she's saying people are much less likely to challenge my succession with you by my side. So she's mm-hmm. like still thinking that like maybe if I play the right game, I can just nip all this stuff in the bud. Yeah, it's a, it's a way to say don't fuck with us without saying hey don't fuck with us because that message yeah. wouldn't go over very well. Now, what do you think about the uh, the Corliss and Rainus uh, aspect? Of that's because they're uh, important shit. They have dragons an and the largest fleet. Mm-hmm. If if because like you know what what Damon and Rhaenyra are saying here is like well we're going to have plausible deniability, but we kind of hope that the realm knows that we had something to do with it and be Uh thinking about what else might happen. That's a great message to send out to your rank and file Lord and lady. Mm -hmm. The house Valerian. Yeah, no, that's, I don't um, know. Don't know if they're in the headspace to receive that kind of information. You really got to hope that Corliss is going to lean into the name, not blood stuff. (laughs) Cause if he doesn't, he's going to be out uh and yeah he's he is a very worthy adversary okay uh let's move on to drag i think i will realize what happened i accidentally took so the first part of the email that i said was dragon walkers was actually ims and then the second part was dragon walker that i accidentally cut and paste when i tried to reorganize my notes so here is another (laughs) missus from dragon rider she goes, a friend recently said that she hated the dragon sounds on House of the Dragon. She thought the ones in Game of Thrones were a lot more authentic and the hot D ones sounded too Star Wars-y. I sort of agreed as some of them had a distinctive kind of Chewbacca thrum to them, but I didn't really <laughs> notice anything until hearing Vagar in this episode. Some of her noises did seem much more mechanical. Of course, this all seems ridiculous as we don't know what a dragon sounds like, much less what a dragon that large or old. 
I think it was you guys, probably Aaron, who mentioned that the original sounds were based on turtles mating noises. Are sounds in Hot D based on the same kind of noises? Um, so I think you're referring to Paula Fairfield, which you might recall, Jim. We actually interviewed her at one of the big uh, the, the yeah. Con of Thrones. She's um, the, the costumer? Uh, she's the sound effects designer. She does like every time okay. a piece, a, an armor rattles, one, I, I her, one of her assistants. Yeah. We have, we have. But one of <laughs> what every every time you hear an armor rattle, one of her or her assistants is jiggling a piece of metal sure. in front of a microphone. Uh-huh. But she is the one that said that like uh, using especially the, the Drogon and Rhaegal and Viserys's like those purring noises they made when they were like around their mom, Danny, and were like all happy and in their, their dragon space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the sound of apparently a male tortoise in the throes of climax. Uh, that she she it. she sound pitched and 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 change the frequency on and yeah um ah <laughs> uh, oh that's an an unfortunate conf, uh, conflation of the mothering anyway uh so <laughs> she just recently had an interview with uh, our colleague Joanna Robinson mm-hmm. and she said. Uh, in her mind, when she looked at Karaxi's model, she noticed that its its snout at the end was kind of twisted to one side, and one nostril was bigger than the other. And in her and in, in her imagination, she's like, "Oh, this dragon's had its nose broken in combat. It's got a deviated septum, so it makes it so. That's why his roar is so kind of high pitched and like dolphiny because he's just kind of got this wheezy, na- wheezy kind of nasally roar. Um, and I know that's one of the mandates." from George Martin is he's like, I don't want all these dragons to look the same. I want them to be different sizes, different shapes, different body forms. Mm-hmm. And I think the distinct differences in their roars and their calls are also a part of the same way a Chihuahua doesn't sound like a bull mastiff. It doesn't sound like a Husky screaming its head off. Like they're trying to mm-hmm. go for variety. So some of them are going to probably sound chewbacca E because there's only so many animal sounds you can get before cuz isn't chewbacca like so only so many animal climax noises yeah so <laughs> <laughs> only so many animals it's safe enough to get near a a, a, a microphone in the throes of climax mm-hmm. but like yeah chewbacca is like i think a brown bear crossed with a tiger and like oh a tiger okay there's only mm-hmm. so many things you can do before you kind of run out of unique combinations that vocal cords can make but sure i I admire the fact that they're going. It is cool that they're all very visually distinct and like sonically distinct. I think. Yeah. All right. Seawell says on the Corliss B rating Carl about letting Lanor mourn in the sea. Remember, we were both kind of like, why? Why did they do that? Uh huh. At first, I thought maybe Corliss is just being a dick. It's been ten years, and Rhaenyra's dragon tunnel didn't convert him. But then again, this happens almost exactly after he talked to Luke about Driftmark. Maybe he was kind of pissed because you got your lady wife standing around awkward. Your kids are super sad. Their aunt's dead and openly refusing birthrights out of fear of loneliness. Then the Lanors out there in the ocean drunk and being a drama king. All these people, I'm sure, aren't up to date with males in touch with their sensitivity, especially not putting their family needs first. And it probably pissed him off and he wanted to put an end to that stuff. I think go down there and put a boot in Lenor's ass yourself. I don't. Yeah, I still that's... don't know why you got to sing Carl. I, I have no problem with him being like angry that his son is is down there. But like, why not go yeah. to him directly to either knock some sense into him or or comfort him or whatever you're going to do? Yeah, I, I think this is fully answered because, like, especially in conjunction with that scene where uh, Luke is kind of like feeling very sad and like this is the kind of mm-hmm. thing that your dad, you know, it's the one thing if your grandpa would be it, but like your dad needs to kind of be the one to have these talks with you. And 
I, I think you're right on about all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't know why he doesn't go down there. Maybe he's just pissed uh, that that these are, you know, he's like looking around and he's seeing these grandkids that aren't his real grandkids, and he's mad about the whole because he's he's kind of got a little bit of an axe to grind about his gay son. Mm-hmm. He's not what I would call Westerosi cool about it. He's he's made no. his peace. He's not gonna, but like. It feels like a way to like goad, like you know, why don't you do something useful? All you, you, all you guys do is fuck shit up and pursue your and, and like go down there and get your get your patron and bring him back here. Uh, it's it felt like a yeah, it felt like a put down, you know, a little bit. But man, it's so public. I it's just like you're gonna get people talking when you do this. But every that's I guess that's the thing is like if you believe that everyone's talking anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like the least you can do, like maybe he just doesn't care. It's like, well, everyone's saying it anyway. So what am I, you know, I'm yeah. going to act a fool. Like I don't like I'm going to act like Viserys and I don't see anything. Right. And he's emotional it's in tricky. the moment. So, yeah, he, he might is. just not care. Yeah. Uh, Casey from Florida says if Rainier and Damon have a child, can they pull a reverse Jon Snow and make the child a true heir and thus get it back to being full Targaryen? Jon Snow is thought to be a bastard, but it was proven he was actually the rightful heir to the Iron Throne and not a bastard at all. Could Rhaenyra and Damon change Harwin and Rhaenyra's boys to standing to bastards? Come out and admit that uh, their possible child could be the rightful heir and thus get rid of that variable in the coming war. Rhaenyra seems like a good mom who loves her boys. It would be nice for them to know the truth, which they seem to already know. Plus, bastards uh, can still hold positions in their house and ostensibly be powerful given the chance. They would not need to be sentenced to the wall or banished. Man, Man, that's... Hey, that's cold. Because they're still her children, right? Whether the bastards or not, yeah, it'd be real disinheriting cold them, yeah. to pass over them for your third, your thirdborn. Yeah, be fourthborn. Um, fourthborn. Fourthborn. Who's the third? Yeah, because they got Joffrey, the kid that was just born in the previous episode. Oh yes, yes. Uh, right. So <laughs> passing over them to your fourthborn just because he's got more Targaryen blood is rough. Yeah, but and I don't, I don't think that eliminates the bastard uh problem here you know for the realm i think they're still going to see this as like a negative mark on her ledger uh with yeah. the bastards whether she whether she passes over them or not yeah there's a lot of deep and unfortunate lore about bastardry in the realm there's a lot yeah. of like cultural taboo like you'll recall when um oberon uh, martel was talking about it like that, that essentially Dorne's the only kingdom that doesn't heavily stigmatize bastards. Mm-hmm. That bastards are not not just the unfortunate, like, oh, mom or dad stepped out of line and blah, blah, blah. It's like bastards are inherently by the gods cursed to be deceitful creatures capable of the worst kind of kin slaying and king slaying and treachery. And it's just their nature. They don't mm-hmm. even go to do it and mean it. It's just they, they just can't help to do it because they're bastards. They were born in deceit and treachery, and that's what they are. So, like... I don't think it would be perceived as cool for Rhaenyra to be like, oh, yeah, his first three children, just bastards. But it's cool. We got pure Valerian. We got we got 100 percent pulp free pure Valerian that we're pumping out now. I Yeah. Yeah. It bastards in, a, in Game of Thrones universe are treated like the Bible treats all of humanity. Yeah. They're tainted. <laughs> you've got, yeah. You've got an original sin. sin of being a bastard and that's all you ever are. And you can never get you can never escape that part of your station. So I mm-hmm. it, it'd be nice. But like, yeah, I don't think the I think the realm would see that as uh, as as base treachery, no matter what they did. 
Jonathan says, from purely military perspective, how do the Greens stand a chance on the uh, against the Blacks? It seems Rhaenyra and Damon control all the dragons except for one. Other than the House Hightower, I haven't seen any indication that the Greens have outside political support in the Seven Kingdoms. It all seems very lopsided. What am I missing? Might be missing the Valerian factor. I, I've the more I think about that, the more I'm mm. like, yeah, she just might have alienated them to the point where they would s- switch teams if they. If this war erupts, yeah, that could be it. I mean, single-handedly, almost they could they could put up a fight. Yeah, and you've got okay because we're we're I don't know where this against one dragon is because uh, for my right, count, right. green has sunfire. That's Aegon steed, mm-hmm. dreamfire, um, which I think is they they haven't actually come out and said on the show yet, but I think you're going to find out that that's Helena's steed. You got Vagar, who is not for nothing the biggest and baddest dragon in the realm by far. Like it's Uh not even like Caraxes is probably half her size, and he's and and uh, Melis, the Red Queen, that's Rhaenyra's Rhaenys's dragon rather. Um, You know uh, they're the next size, but Vagar is just in a class by herself. Hmm. Um, Who gets sea smoke? Mm-hmm. Um, well, Damon's daughters, like, you know, you talk about the Valerian, like they don't seem super cool with the way Damon's acting or this latest marriage. Like, are mm-hmm. we a hundred percent sure they're going to be loyal? And then the other thing is like, when is this dance going to kick off? Like, are we going to wait another couple of years? Are we going to have three, four, five, ten years pass? Like will dragons that are mere hatchlings now be more battle ready. Um, also, there's a lot of time, like if, if there's several years to go, there's a lot of time for Rhaenyra to make more political blunders or for Allison to piss off more people. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah. It's, yeah, it's uh, still and, up and in just, the air. And just to no give you some intended. background, Fire and Blood says that the, the in the Great Council of a, a 101, the one where uh, 101 AC, where King Jaehaerys called together all the realms and it's like, okay, who are we going to make? We got Rhaenys over here. We got uh, uh, Viserys over here. We got these other claimants. Um, it was 20 to 1 against Rhaenys. So that shows that like an average bias of the Lords of Westeros, 20 and 1 are going to be in favor of a male inheritor over uh, a mm-hmm. woman. So I think if you apply that math, like regardless of who's bowed and said what words and, and crouched before who, which princess, that that's a... And that was only like 20 years ago. That's been very mm-hmm. recent in the shows because I think we're at like 120-ish AC now. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I was like, it's just mm, the math. And that's why Otto is so confident that this is just not going to happen, that, mm-hmm. you know, Rhaenyra can do whatever she wants. It's going to they're going to demand people are going to demand Aegon be on that throne. Uh, Sean from Limerick. Ireland says hearing you speak about Damon's daughter being twins in the book has made me think what would happen if a king's firstborn child or children were twins and further than that what if they were both male first one what do you think first one out you got it it's literally that simple that's like go back to the bible Esau Esau and Isaac Isaac was born supposedly holding on to Esau's heel (laughs) that came out as a unit and that's the thing it's like (laughs) Women's birth canals being what they are, you're not going to have a simultaneous birth. <laughs> That's not going to fucking happen. Oh, it's a God. near run thing getting one of the heads out of there. Oh, you're not going to like, you're not going to shoot the gap with both of them. What, what so, about in case of a, a, a medieval C-section? It's I just whichever like, one the maester grabs first. 
What secret? I mean, that would be a wild procedure. It's like, all right, we're going to bisect a woman. Okay, you grab one leg, you grab. Okay, so one, two, three, you. And they don't have they don't have iPhones with slow mo, so they couldn't actually. Right. But yeah, it's there's a line, there's a cue that forms inside the woman. The the babies yeah. come out in an orderly fashion if they come out at all, and they are like it's stupid, it's fucking crazy. But if you're born ten seconds before your brother, you're the firstborn. Point mm-hmm. blank period. All right. Uh moving on to Bart from Montreal. How many years will the Valerians be unable to submerge? Or in how many years will the Valerians be unable to submerge their dead caskets? You touched on this in the main podcast, and okay. uh, Bart's done the math. Nice. Let us assume the depth of the water at the beginning, at the end of the funeral ramp, is 15 feet deep. I, that's that's that, that was my low end calculation. Yeah, it seems shallow. I'm thinking more like 45, but okay. An average coffin is three feet high. Valerians hired divers to stack the coffins perfectly. The base of 12 <laughs> coffins. They'd fit 60 coffins. The current rate of Royal Valerian deaths. Okay. Two per year. We could get 30 more years out of this funeral spot. And if we were generous and double that base to 24 coffins, they could get 60 more years. If you double the depth to 30 feet, you get 120 years. That's seven to eight generations. There's still lots of hot D left to talk about. We'll be right back after the break. And now, back to hot D. Speaking of Valerian coffin stacking, it's time for this week's Maester's Corner! Well, hello, Anthony. Welcome back to the Maester's Corner. Thank you, sir. You, you sound a little stuffy today. I don't. I, it's just early in the uh-huh. morning, and I've 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 had a lot of a lot of late nights and early mornings. I'm just uh, I'm just feeling froggy. Most people, most people when they're hearing their podcast are hearing my afternoon voice. Uh-huh. Uh, this is my eight thirty. I'm I'm hating life. Uh, <laughs> so I'm hating life. Can voice. I assume a late night? Let's say like a three a.m. Rabbit no, trail not into that crazy. different YouTube videos to prepare for this. No, not nothing that crazy. More like twelve thirty. <laughs> um, but anyway, sure. uh, man, one o'clock. I don't know how late was I up last night. Anyway, you, we've got some. I, I've got some prophetic stuff to oh, talk about. Fantastic. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that. Um, you know, because like I said, it's I'm I'm doing it as a spoiler free way as possible, but it is doing some slightly forward looking yes. stuff. Um. So maybe, maybe if you're really, really spoiler phobic, you want to skip my my mm-hmm. section. But uh, we'll ease into that with considering your yes. topic, which is which is a well known topic to book readers and book theorists, but almost entirely unknown to show watchers, and that is the odd and dark mythology around the deep ones. Or, as sometimes they are sometimes called, the squishers. Um, this is <laughs> sort of a, this is a, 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 this is seemingly a really important um, point in the books for Martin that they've never shown on screen. And yeah, this is like uh, the kind of Lovecraftian yes. influence of George Martin, right? Right, right, right. So right, right. yeah, George is, is often you know drawing from and making homages to to you know sci-fi fantasy authors from years past, and Lovecraft seems to be one of them. But really, the Lovecraftian stuff kind of occupies the edges, and but there is good reason to believe that the next published book, my 
words to uh, uh, Germ's ears, uh, is going to <laughs> include a major uh, Deep Ones element. So we should probably talk about what were what these Deep Ones are. Um, so in in this episode that we watched this week, there was a reference to the Merlin King. And we saw the ritual of sending a human body into the deep. And it very well could be that this is the remnant of an old culture and an old practice that predates, you know, known history in Westeros and Southeros and Essos. And uh, and it involves these fishmen. So get ready to hear about all... All of the cases that we deal with fishmen. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about every single artifact, but there's this artifact that goes back in in popular belief to these fishmen who are these evil hybrid creatures from you know the prehistoric world, and uh, we find these black stone structures at the base of Old Town. The Ironborn's Throne, yeah. at Moat Kalen. Uh The entire city of Eshai is thought to be made of this stuff. The Runes of Yin, who, you know, we've talked about Nymeria before, who sailed the Seven Seas. And she she visited Yin and said that the city is so evil, the jungle doesn't even enter into it. And then oh. there's this idol on the Isle of Toads that is, of course, yes, in the shape of a big toad. And... <laughs> No one really knows what to do with this black stone substance. They don't really understand it, and they always describe it in the same way. It's always uh, black, mysterious, and they either call it oily or greasy. And I don't really know what to make of that, but... I, I'll hail the greasy blackstone toad. As yeah, well. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, in various cultures all over the map, and they all kind of date way, way, way back. Uh, we find stories of enemies from of the sea or allies from the sea, and in these stories, there's like a pattern that usually forms. Right in these stories, there's usually a gift or gifts given. They usually in, in, involve some kind of human fish hybridity. Um, like uh, one, you know, one woman from I think it was the Vale claimed to be the wife of the Merlin King. They often involve giving the giving of human women to sort of propagate the species, and um, and then of course they they usually involve some kind of human sacrifice, and that's what made me think of this when I saw them send Lena into the deep. You know, here here's a ritual mm. that we don't find in you know Westeros. This is not a, a, a faith of the seven or old men kind of ritual, and it involves sending a, a human body underneath the waves. And it could be that maybe this derives from this very old practice of of sacrificing humans to the deep ones. Um, and. So that if, the, if the camera had lingered on Lena's casket for mm-hmm. a second longer, they would have seen a scaled, webbed hand reach out towards the, the casket. Yeah, go into the casket. Claim, claiming its latest bond bounty. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, but every now and again, we find a, so we find a character in the books 
who really absolutely believes that these creatures are still around and they're still demanding human sacrifices. And uh, so one one great example comes from a fellow named Nimble Dick. And of course, as we always, you know, we always trust people named Nimble Dick. And uh, he, here's what he says. This is... He, Dick be nimble, dick be quick. <laughs> He's from Crack Job Point, and he uh, claims to see these guys around. Uh, this is what he says in A Feast for Crows. He says, they look like men till you get close, but their heads is too big. And they got scales where a proper man's got hair. Fish, <laughs> fish belly white they are, with webs between their fingers. They are always damp and fish smelling. Behind those rubbery lips, they got rows of green teeth, sharp as needles. Some say the first men killed them all, but don't you believe it. They come by night, and they steal bad little children, paddling along with them webbed feet uh, with little squi- with a little squish-squish sound. The girls they keep to breed with, but the boys they eat, tearing them with those sharp green teeth. Yeah, so... so uh, Many characters in the book still believe that these guys are around. And in one of the preview chapters of Winds of Winter, we see a character who's connected to the Ironborn, um, who we think sort of has a religious system that stems from this old mythology, who's offering copious human sacrifices, um, beyond you know, throwing them overboard from his ship. In order to, I don't know, incite some kind of dark magic. Yeah, you're talking about Euron Greyjoy. Was it Euron or was it uh, Victorian? I, I forget which one it was. I, it was. It was probably Euron. You're probably right. I thought it was Euron because there's like, yeah, there's there's a, a YouTuber just got he did this all you're over right. this. It, yeah, it was theory. absolutely Euron. And so <clears throat> it seems very likely that. The the plot that Martin envisions that we would all love to see someday um, involves some kind of showdown between the White Walkers and the Deep Ones and the Dragons. So, um, or you know, maybe some sort of uh, a- ally between the the Deep Ones and the White Walkers. But whatever it is, this little ritual that we see on. Uh, the what was the island that we see on driftmark probably does not have a direct connection to the deep ones but it absolutely connects to this wider world of mythology wherein the squishers or these gods these hybrids from the deep have influenced the cultures of several different um, peoples around the uh, the world that martin's created yeah, that's that's some fascinating stuff. I think it's interesting because um, the Merlin King, you know, that's one of that's at the heart of one of my favorite theories. The 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 idea that uh, Varys might be a mm-hmm. merman himself. Sure. You know, there's a lot of like I did, you know, back in the day on the the spoiler section, I, I, and and it was pretty well received. But there's this idea that like you know you've got these gods in Martin's universe, the seven gods who are kind of like inert and they're like fictional. And then you've got the old gods, you know, that are weirwood based, and there's there's something to that. There's an actual power yeah. there, and you know, with these, uh, uh, with the drowned god or the Merlin king, you've got this potential 
third supernatural faction that actually has some real heft to it. Because whatever Euron's doing in terms of black magic, it seems like there's some there there. Just like, you know, Melisandre is calling on something real yeah. when she conjures up the red, you know, the, the, the red god. There's 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 some power and potency there. But, yeah, I don't know. Because, like, uh, it's also possible that... Or something I've always wondered is like these deep ones, these uh, this Merlin King, the the uh, the drowned god. Are those just different aspects of the old gods? Yeah, you know? I often wonder. Sometimes when I see these things, I often wonder. All right, let's say that there. I mean, the artifacts in Martin's world suggest that there is there's some heft to this. All right, there's some ancient. Well, like you said, the Valerians got their driftwood throne. Um, legendarily yeah, from the Merlin King, from the Merlin right. King was gifted. Yeah, to there's them. usually yeah. some kind of gift given, and and usually um, there's there's sort of this artifact of this oily black stone. So we know that there's something behind mm-hmm. the legend, but then of course with legends, they they spin out in all kinds of different directions, and so you would imagine that you know somewhere between twenty and eighty percent of them are you know fictionalized. So you're not really sure what to believe, and I think we've got we've got a great example of that in this episode, uh, where you know sometimes you see the story that that's passed down through history, it didn't quite happen the way that the historians remember it, right? So uh, this, yeah. and of course, and this is a much town. much more you know this is a much ancient story, so. Yeah, and you mentioned Old Town as being one of those places with the Blackstone. Yep. Is is am I am I remember correctly that the the base of the like the the foundational layer of the the lighthouse the 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 the, the, the mm-hmm. high tower is made of blackstone. It's made of blackstone, and it's the oldest part of the tower. And right, because all this stuff is like predates right. written history. All the blackstone, and it's the same kind of black oily stuff. Um and in addition to that, it's not just kind of weird. It's that there's no joints. It's like it's right. like there's no there's no evidence of mortar. They don't know how they got these stones shaped that the way that they needed to shape them. It just yeah. seems um, absolutely unreal. It seems unhuman, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like the pyramids, you know. It's like, oh, it's so sure. precise and so aligned with this and that, and it must be aliens, except for you know, pyramids <laughs> right, built right, by right, right. smart Egyptians. But uh, no, I think that's interesting. And and you, you heard it here first. Otto Hightower consorts with the Merlin King. He's down there in the foundations, calling him up, offering his daughters up to the fish guy. Yeah, it's it's uh, some sick shit. Yeah, you know what? It's, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't support him. Right. I wouldn't support him as hand. It's know. odd. I don't think that wouldn't they're going to do this green. because the showrunners of this series do not lean into the magical elements. But if it was me, mm. if it was me, and I was like, hmm, I've got a, a character from Old Tower. I've got a you know a couple you know people who sail the seven seas. I'm absolutely bringing some of this mythology in, or at least nodding to it, you dude. Know? If they keep if they keep doing this Game of Thrones universe stuff, you know, and like you know, ten uh-huh. years from now, if we've had three different Fire and Bloods covering the Black Fire Rebellion and uh, the the Mad King era and and the Duncan Egg and all this stuff, and and they've done their Jon Snow prequel, and everybody's kind of like getting bored with the world of Ice and Fire, I think they should go back to like the Age of Heroes and just do some gonzo crazy shit, like some Westerosi X-Files stuff, where you've got the Merlin King and his Deep Ones creeping around, you got the old gods at the height of their power, 
You got uh, right, yeah. like it's just yeah, just go full on Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> forget, <laughs> forget your fire and blood. Go Dungeons and Dragons. That's what I want to see. Okay, what do you got for uh, us shall- today? So, so you're you're talking about that the showrunners are kind of leaning away from magic, but they are at the margins. Got these creepy characters like Masaria and. Uh, increasingly Hel- Helena. Well, and we know you that know, prophecy the... is sort of integral to the story that they're telling, right? And they've, they've established this Targaryen trait of dreaming, some kind of gift of yep. foresight that may or may not be accurate. You know, Danis the Dreamer uh, warned the Targaryens uh, uh, that, that uh, uh, you know, the Doom of Valeria was coming and they were able to get uh, Dragonstone and preserve their house and their dragons because they put faith in that prophecy. Viserys... You know, his prophetic dreams kind of led him astray, um, didn't didn't kind of get fulfilled like they want that he wanted to. And now we've seen uh, Helena, the last few episodes, is mumbling to herself mm-hmm. things. You know, she mentioned uh, when her mother and Aemond were talking about him getting a dragon, she says he's going to have to shut an eye first. And we see him losing a, an eye to claim uh, Vagar. So people are kind of like paying attention to the stuff that she's babbling in right. the background. Uh, this episode, she was muttering, hand turns loom, spool of green, spool of black, dragons of flesh, weaving dragons of thread. Okay. Um, is now, it hand, hand it, this turns is not lo- necessarily, it doesn't make any difference at all, but is it hand turned loom or turns loom? It's turns in the present oh, sense, okay, I think. That's what okay. I wrote down. Um, and, you know, obviously when we have a person of position of hand, you go auto high tower. He's kind of like a schemer. Um, Jim, Jim's on this campaign of he's the most person responsible, you know, for everything we're seeing that his paranoid fantasies about what's going to happen after the succession is driving Allison to do all these crazy things. Uh, so he's turning this loom, this war, he's manufacturing this war, with spools of green, spools of black, that seems pretty obvious. You've got the green and black factions, those loyal to Alicent or the yeah. greens, the ones Rhaenyra or black. Uh, weaving dragons of flesh and dragons of thread. So a lot the, the, uh, a lot of people think that the dragons of flesh refer to Targaryens. You know, they're people that are actually, you know, dragons of yeah, the flesh. Yeah. And we've got true-born dra- uh, Targaryen dragons, which are Alicent's children, with King Viserys on one side, perhaps the dragons of thread refer to, you know, fake dragons. And there's a concept in the uh, original book series, the Song of Ice and Fire, uh, this, these mummers dragons. Sure. Um, that was uh, something that uh, Quaith, remember that that, that uh, weird lady oh, from with the mask. Uh, yeah. Essos? With the mask, and she's she's got this prophecy that she goes up to Danny and she says a bunch of weird shit. She says... You know, to go north, you got to go south. To go west, you got to go east. To go forward, you got to go back. To touch light, you got to pass shadow. But she also warns her of a bunch of stuff that's coming up in Danny's life. Uh, she warns her of the pale mare, which is something that Danny's uh, right. dealing with as disease. Uh, as we leave her in uh, uh, the 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 Dance of Dragons, the last book, book five. Uh, beware the Kraken and the Dark Flame, the Lion and the Griffin, the Sun's Son and the Mummer's Dragon. Trust none of them. Um, and a lot of people think that that Mummer's Dragon refers to this character of Aegon Targaryen, mm-hmm. which is something that uh, uh, Illyrio and Varys. Yeah, is this the John Connington? 
uh, subplot. Yeah, so he's that's the Griffin because that's the sigil of his of his house, and that he's been squiring this guy who claims to be Aegon Targaryen, which is. Uh, a lot of people, there's those two possibilities. He could be uh, Blackfire Targaryen, which are this uh, branch, a cadet branch of the Targaryens that are like um, some of the bastard children. Yeah, who end up getting, the nor- getting normalized, right? Right. That's what causes the Blackfire Rebellion. You've got all these, norm- the, 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 the king on his deathbed normalized or legitimized a bunch of his bastards, and then they all came after the throne, right? And they eventually got this beat in the Civil War, and most of them fled to Essos. And there's still some of them kind of kicking around and 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 uh, sell sword companies. Uh, so people think that this could be one of those Blackfires or Targaryens, or or it's literally just something that Varys, like they found this platinum blonde kid, and as a baby, and they bought him, and they're doing this as a deliberate strategy to to raise this army sure. and come and, and bring this like false messiah right. to to, yeah. to Westeros for whatever their own purposes sure. are. Uh, that's the Mummer's Dragon, a fake dragon, a dragon made of cloth and thread. The Mummer's Dragon is literally, you know, have you seen those like Chinese New Year's dragons? Where there's guys inside <laughs> of them, and they're not they're not real. That's they're the not? Mummer's Dragon. They've got these Mummer's. No, no, no. It turn, turns out they're not. They're not okay. real Chinese dragons. Um, but the Mummer's Dragons, they, they, they that's a similar thing. They're on sticks and they're, well, they're made and to I would perform say that and dance of around. Thread, and, I mean, the most natural suggestion here is, that how, you know, how do you know someone's a dragon in this world? Well, it's because of how they dress. They, they, they're all dressed, and we know that you know these. The the factions are delineated by the colors that they wear, right? It's the it's their clothing of black, or clothing of green, their yeah. banners or banners, yeah. right? So this is all sort of connected to thread. So yeah, so you could it, it could be that it could be the uh, the the banners and the factions that are going to raise to their side, but it also could be the fact that Rhaenyra's kids. Are bastards, right? They're not full dragons. They're pretend dread. There's something false about them. Um, it also could be there. There's going to be um, slight spoilers again. Slight spoilers if if you haven't read the book. Um, there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, bastard Targaryens, um, literal like you know seed of the dragon, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, there's going to be on on. on Various sides trying to find dragon riders as the war goes on, and the uh, certain side employs these dragon seed riders who are not true-born Targaryens, but they do have that all-important blood yeah, of sure. old Valeria in them, so they can swing a leg over the dragon. So that might be pointing to these again dragons made of, of thread. Yeah. I thought that's kind of I thought so it's kind of interesting. I've gotten a and couple it's more, emails that have, have you know given me various iterations of this theory. And I'll, I will All ask right. you my question on this. So if that's what this prophecy means, and I think that that's probably the most natural interpretation of the prophecy, it really mm. is telling us something that we already know by way of the story, right? It's not telling us, it's not foreshadowing anything that we don't, we haven't already seen with our own eyes. It's like, you know... King Viserys asks Aegon in this be, episode, he's like, who told you the rumor? And he's yeah. like, we all know, dude. And I think that that's kind of right, us right. watching. Like, yeah, we all know, dude. So I'm wondering if, in in terms of storytelling, is this a way to establish Helena's credibility to us? Because she's clearly speaking a prophetic truth. 
And so later in the series, she can say something that hasn't happened yet. And then we kind of go crazy thinking, well, we know she's right. Um, so, well, yeah, there's two that's two purposes. I think one for a show only watcher, it's the rare kind of prophecy just for you. So you can kind of play along and, uh, you know, have fun kind of figuring out because like, you know, from um if you're not watched a show, or I guess from an in-universe perspective, like, this is predicting the future. Like, we know there's going to be a Dance of Dragons, there's going to be two sides, there's going right. to be more. But, like, I think everyone in this episode would be kind of horrified to know that, you know, they, they, yeah, they want to get on the throne or whatever, but, like, that they're going to plunge the realm. They're, that's the whole reason that they're going about their sure. actions. You know, Allison's trying to, uh, you know, and Otto's trying to avoid plunging right. the realm in the war by doing the obviously correct thing, which is put a man on the throne. Um, so, like, for show-only perspective, it's a genuine prophecy. It is new information. Well, and also... Um, but I think you're a... right. I think you're right. Oh, go ahead. Finish. Well, no, I was, was going to say, I think you're right that this, uh, you know, giving Helena these easy setup and knockdown prophecies that are going to be fulfilled probably with the next few episodes, just like, you know, her brother shutting his eye, I think you're right that they are going to start weaving prophecies of thread that are going to do some things that Martin's been wanting to do. You know, it seems like that uh, he's kind of ghostwriting his own novels through the show and that uh, he could use Helena's as a mouthpiece to kind of hint towards the true state of the end game. Like, for example, a lot of people, um, I don't know where they've got this because I haven't seen an interview to backs it up, but, you know, like my buddy Kim Renfro has asserted this and I I, I trust her to know what she's talking about, that like, Martin's indicated that Bran the Broken is kind of one of his bullet points. It's true. Like that, that Bran will end up on the Iron right. Throne and Helena saying that the last segment of the worm is going to be legless is a potential hint at that. There's also a p- p- potential lesser fulfillment in this very own series, but that's a pretty big spoiler too. Right. Um, but but the, the, your point is, yeah, he is building these easy to set up and knock down prophecies so that we will have our ears fully perked for whatever crazy thing she mutters for us to go kind of exactly. crazy in the Danny and John era of God yeah, of Game of Thrones. Right. And I think that's that's exciting because if you'd asked me six months ago, how much stuff are we going to get out of Dance of Dragons or I'm sorry, the, 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 the hot D, the House of the Dragon that's going to actually influence the current lore, you know, and actually you know, weave some new Valerian steel foil prophecies and theories and whatnot. I would have said pretty chances are pretty low, but between the knife and the the dream of ice and fire and everything. And I'm thinking that actually this might contribute some new stuff to the lore. And yeah, it is. And I think that even within that scene, you've got all of the children speaking the truth, right? You've got Jace talking with his mother and she, she's kind of mm-hmm. hushing him. Hey, hey, don't say that in public. Right. And then, of course, you've got, right. you know, Amond, who's calling his, you know, buddy Lord Strong. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you've got Aegon saying, dude, we all know. So it's almost like all of these kids are t- are saying the taboo truth in public, where all the adults yeah, are trying out to of keep, mouth yes, of babes. That's, that's exactly what's. And I think that you can find that throughout the last couple episodes. And, of course, we know that the next generation is going to start to wield a bit of political power. Um, and they and they don't want to keep the secret, right? <laughs> so, mm, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this. I like this. Interesting stuff. 
uh, where you mentioned uh, getting feedback and doing doing your own show. Tell people where they can find more Maester Anthony during the reign of Hot absolutely uh, over at Double Dragon. Um, we are uh, following the show and interviewing medievalists and having a great time. It's me and my buddy stand up comic Steve Osborne, and uh, and we. I, I I mean I I'm I'm really enjoying. I don't know about you, but I. We're seven episodes in, or are we? Are we seven episodes in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the seventh. <laughs> I'm really liking this. I'm really enjoying this, dude. I this has far exceeded my expectations for what this show could be. Um, you know, I, got, I was a little shaky with the source material because, like I uh, mentioned before, it is very dry. But like, honestly, I feel like Condal and Sapochnik has have figured out how to inject the heat. It's not perfect. But I, very few shows are. Well, almost it's almost nothing, like nothing is. But I, I described they're it, crushing. Yeah, no, it. I, this was my favorite episode of the season, and I, I do a little bit of analogizing with Breaking Bad, where it's like, I'm pretty sure everyone in this show is Breaking Bad, but I'm fascinated. <laughs> yes, I'm fa- I can't take my eyes off them, even if you know, maybe I don't have like a. John Snow well, to root for. Thing- I, I, I'm, I cannot, I cannot look away. This is an amazing. It it is fascinating. It's fun to root for. I think it's fun to root for the bad people. Um, it's also really, I think it's a really fascinating development in the online fandom is people like arguing for the, they're, they're like, they're becoming greens and blacks. <laughs> Like when people said, you know, like Allison, oh, she killed the Strongs, and it's like, oh, well, wait till you see what Rhaenyra is going to do, and oh, this the, and they're like. The, the the amount of whataboutism mm-hmm. that's being played by both of these sides for this fictional, uh, you know, civil war yeah, conflict yeah. is is fascinating. But you know, maybe uh, maybe if we fight over fake politics, we can sure. we can uh, come together yeah, over some real say, world stuff. We we need an yeah, outlet. You I would know? just say, look, um, like you could do that with like Walter White and Mike, right? In Breaking Bad, like you could argue like who mm-hmm. who you're rooting for. But at the end of the day, both those guys are breaking bad, right? So I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying it. I think it's I think it's amazing writing. Um it, it's this this was my favorite. If you want to hear me talk about my favorite episode of this season, uh check out Double Dragon. Well that that's the neat thing about the favorite episode is I feel like I've had four different <laughs> favorite episodes. Like uh yeah, they keep on yeah. getting kind of better and better, and man, it's hard to beat uh, Aemon's claiming of Vagar. I am yeah, so, I'm so horned up for dragon combat. <laughs> I can't. I mean, they they're just executing such a high level with those dragon sure. special effects. So when we see them starting to fight, oh my god, it's yeah. going to be awesome. Maester Anthony, thanks for coming Absolutely. on, buddy. We'll see you next week on another Maester's right, Corner. See ya. Uh, by the way, coming out of the, the Maester's Corner, if you want more, Varys is a secret merman. Uh, coverage. I encourage you to, to search for Bald Move 507, The Gift, and check out the spoiler version of that podcast. Uh, it starts around a 40-minute mark, and it is one of my all-time favorite crackpot Game of Thrones theories. Uh, I've got a little bit of, of more lore cleanup, not too bad, about three or four emails. Uh, Elizabeth is up first. She says, is the reason the Night King or the White Walkers rose is because there's no longer a Targaryen on the Iron Throne? It's a long night thread, a direct result of Bobby B. I don't recall you guys discussing this yet. Um, I don't know why I'm pausing for you because you're probably like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, yeah, direct result. 
Hmm? While I'm while I'm pointing people out old podcasts, you also might want to check out um, Google search for Bald Move 404 The Wall um, because there's a segment I did on that at the hour 29 mark called The Night's King and Rethink the Others. Because like there's a lot of really interesting theories about why did the Night's Kings wa- walk then. There's this idea that um, – you had this these first men that came up with a blood pact with the others that's like we're going to provide you a steady stream of male infants for you to otherize and as long as you we do that you're going to stay north of the wall and by the time game of thrones comes around only craster is still keeping that tradition alive mm-hmm. and the white walkers are getting all agitated about it and then craster dies and they're like fuck it we're calling our banners and we're marching these 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 men have betrayed their 10,000 year old oaths to us. There's that. Um, there's the idea of like, uh, you know, always a Stark in Winterfell, that being kind of put up in the air because of Ned being put to death. You've got now the idea that you have to have a Targaryen on the throne for some magical purpose to bind the realm together. There's a lot of competing theories, and no one knows for sure because guess what? George hasn't finished the books. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we can't say this. I know we don't have any real point of view inside the Night King or the others. Like, what is their motivations? Mm-hmm. You know, we know that they come. They haven't been around for thousands of years. Um, but we 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 don't really. Like, everyone that would know has died out ten thousand years ago and passed into legend. So it's a really interesting question. I talk a lot about it in that uh, again episode four hundred four, the Wall, at an hour twenty nine. If you want more, uh, check it out. Mel and Rally says, I know the idea of Alaris's potential green seer has been brought up, but what about him as a warg? You see the rats keep appearing uh, departed style. It seemed very heavy handed and a few folks have commented on them seeing kind of cheesy and out of place. But what if they're being warged into by Laris? They've been shown to have direct witness to a bunch of important things across multiple episodes. Um, this is something Anthony and I talked a couple weeks ago. The fact that there are some subtle hints that maybe Laris, maybe is connected into the Weirwood network um, hmm. and is using that uh, connection at the King's Landing uh, Godswood to, to spy on things you shouldn't be able to spy on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because you're a green seer doesn't mean you're a warg and, and vice versa. Not everybody's like Bran, who's like the super duper best version of both of those. Um, I think it's a potentially cool theory. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have a big problem with it if they did that. Yeah. There's precedent. Yeah. Um, Daniel from Discord says, Hey, Aaron, I'm trying to get a better understanding of where Westeros fits in the global political landscape. How does the kingdom stack up in power? In terms of power versus the city states and Essos, is the power dynamic different in this time period than in Game of Thrones? Uh, we've talked about this a few times over the years. Jim, what's your understanding of Westeros fit into the overall global power struggle? My feeling was they were pretty separate. Um, and that any like intermingling that happened was mostly through trade and whatnot. But they, I, I've, am I crazy to think that they don't often do battle? They don't. They don't often like struggle for actual power over their own lands. They're just kind of trade partners. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely fucking with each other in terms of financing and sell swords and um sure sure and like pushing know, around the edges to to gain an advantage or something but like right what the last time there was war is when the targaryens came over and conquered westeros right yeah 
I mean, the, the thing is, is just a few hundred years prior to the Game of Thrones timeline, um, Old Valeria fell. And again, Old Valeria, right. is, you're supposed to understand, is the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And Westeros is essentially the uh, the British Isles. So in the immediate fall of the Roman Empire, when they fracture into like the East and West, like they have their hands full, like trying to figure out who the hell is going to run all this shit. There's this huge power vacuum. There's these free cities that... It, have you know either previously broken away or now completely free there's other people trying to re, you know revive the the memory of the valerian uh, uh, uh freehold and they want to be the heirs to that power there's a lot of squabbling over in essos and i got the idea that they had ever got their shit together and united they could just crush westeros because huh, westeros okay. is culturally scientifically uh etc kind of like seen as the backwater compared to the, the great crazy. cities of Essos. I, I view them as like the military might though. Like especially in this period with the dragons, well, n- I now, think it'd be real damn hard for Essos to come over and actually conquer sure, them. Sure. But I mean, I guess you, uh, you compare it to like London uh, at like 800 CE versus like Byzantium, right? Like there's just no comparison okay. between those those cities and those or, or Rome even and in, in like uh even if it's diminished state like they've got aqueducts and stuff like that and London is just yeah, you know yeah. uh people shitting in the streets and whatnot uh the, the only difference is like you said like what if Lond- like uh, what if a couple of Romans ran off with nuclear weapons and set up in London then it's like okay right. that's that's the big big uh you know I guess a history the thing that kind of fucks with the just looking at it purely as oh this mm. is Western Europe you know. Yeah, but economically, I know uh, Essos is the big power, right? Like, oh, yeah. The, like, the people in Westeros are rich, but not like They still Bravos go to the Iron rich. Bank when they need yeah. the money to raise an army, right? Like, right. yeah. Essos has got way more wealth in terms of just everything. Silk, spices, fine goods, you know. And in as much as that stuff does run the world, uh, if the economic system is what actually matters, then, yeah, Essos has the power. And culturally, too, like all the best singers, mummers, uh, courtesans, uh, yeah, yeah. like they're all like everything, all the the, the, the fine things in life kind of come from uh, Essos and Dorne and the Reach. You know, they have their wines and they have this and that. That's what's so funny about uh, um, Damon shitting on Essosian wine, because I, I, that's bizarre to me that like, you know, hmm. I guess that'd, yeah. that'd be like if a guy grows up drinking Bud Light and you give him like a, a really stout high high uh, bitter you know sure. like 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 you know a really hoppy ipa like oh fuck this is gross it's like you know uh jessa from milwaukee says one thing i'm missing from the original game of thrones is their irregular seasons it's an interesting magical aspect of the world and it's such an important set piece in the original series winter is coming i don't think in hot d we've heard anyone discuss seasons at all I'm surprised that we haven't had a minor lord or lady bring it up as small talk, such as so fortunate to experience this long, pleasant summer, my lord. I realize that the seasons may not be driving the plot in hot D as they did in got GOT, but it'd be nice to at least acknowledge they exist. The one thing I can think of in the, is in the south where King's Landing is, they do not feel the seasonal changes as strongly as they do in the north, but I'd guess that uh, they would at least get really hot summers. Are you guys missing these seasons as much as I am? I guess not, um, it, but you're right. You're right. It's it's because it's not a story driver like it was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, and you're also right that like um, we had POV people in the north where winter is a much more 
you know, as you mentioned in King's Landing and, and Dorne, when you get closer to the summer seas, uh, your average winter doesn't touch those realms as much. It's not like Winterfell where, holy fuck, you have 100-foot snowdrifts. And, like, people, like the old folks before winter come just walk out to die because they know that there's not enough not enough food to feed all the mouths. Um, that's why the Starks' words are winter is coming and everybody else is like, hear me roar and growing strong. Only the people freezing to death literally in the north. Now, when you have these super supernatural winters, when the White Walkers come, that's where, like, the whole fucking world can freeze over. Um, but again, that doesn't happen, but every few thousand years, it seems so. Mm-hmm. And this is tracks cleanly in fire and blood. Cause that's something that me and Anthony talked about when we were going through the book. It's like up through Viserys's day, there's only like, you know, one real winter of note. It was right there around 5960 AC, uh, right in the beginning of, I think Jaharis's reign where, winter lasted for two years and there was a famine that kind of like depopulated the realm. And I, I think a princess died of a, of a sickness that she got in the winter. And it was especially kind of as historically bad, but you know, up through the 120 years of so far in fire and blood of recovering, that was like the only one. So like, I, I think I, when I was sitting down to read fire and blood, I thought it'd be like maybe every decade or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I, when I hear about everyone talking about sweet summer children, that was almost always a northerner perspective. Yeah. Like I don't, you don't you don't hear people like King's Landing, much less Dorn, being like, "Oh, you sweet summer child." So, yeah, I think it's it's uh, you, you pretty much got the right of it there, um, and that's going to do it for this week. Appreciate everybody's feedback. Uh, send that in. Uh, keep sending that in to hotd at baldmove We'll consider it each and every Thursday um, in the main podcast and on the Maester's Corner. Really appreciate you all listening. It's had a great time answering your questions this week. We'll be back Sunday night immediately after the episode's airing of episode eight to talk about it. Me and Jim are going to talk up first on the instant talk. We'll release that uh, for everybody. But then after that, it's uh, we're going to be taking live questions from our club members and only club members will be able to get to see that live and be able to participate in our instant talk podcast where you can ask us questions and make comments live. So if that sounds like a good time, if you don't want to miss out uh, the archive of that and the chance to participate live with us, uh, check out support.baldmove.com. You get ad-free feeds, a lot of bonus audio content like the exclusive Instant Talks, a bunch of other stuff. Twitter.com slash baldmove is where you want to follow us as far as our release schedule and everything that's going on. Uh, we're covering uh, still the Rings of Power. Uh, God help us all. The Walking Dead has come back in the middle of this mess. Mm-hmm. Speaking of winter, it's come, walkers are coming. They're here. Oh, shit. Uh, we're going to be putting walk. We, that this is crazy enough. The oldest and longest running podcast in the Bald Move Empire. Yeah, uh, we've got all eleven seasons, and <laughs> we we tried to quit it. The pandemic brought us back, and now we're like we just got eighty episodes left. So if that sounds, if you're missing your ice zombies, we got just the regular old stinky type of zombies. They just kind of shamble around. They're dead over on The Walking Dead. Uh, you can find that at Watching Dead. Or, hey, uh, subscribe to Bald Move Pulp to get all of our zombie, dragon, spaceship stuff. We'll see you Sunday night. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later. Later.